Welcome to UO Today. I'm Paul Pepys, the director of the Oregon Humanities Center. My guest today is Catherine Kelp-Stevens, assistant professor and associate director of the Comic Studies program at the University of Oregon. She is also an affiliated faculty member in New Media and Cultural Studies and Women's Gender and Sexuality Studies. Professor Kelp-Stevens' research and teaching interests include comic studies, visual cultures, comparative media studies, cultural techniques, translation theory, post-colonial theory and literature, digital humanities, feminist studies, sports studies, and classics. Her work has been published in several edited volumes, including the Oxford Handbook of Comic Studies, the comics of Alison Bechdel, Comic Studies Here and Now, and Horrors of War. Her monograph, How Comics Travel, Publication, Translation, Radical Literacies, is under contract with The Ohio State University Press. Kelp Stebbins is co-curating with Ben Saunders, The Art of the News, Comics Journalism, an exhibition at the Jordan Schnitzer Museum of Art that will be on view during fall 2021. Thanks, Kate, for coming on the show. It's great to have you. Thank you so much for having me, Paul. This is a really wonderful opportunity, so thank you. Total pleasure. Um, why don't we start at the beginning? What led to your interest in comic studies? Yeah, that's um, literally an epic journey. I actually am a trained classicist and I started in the academy working on classics through a post-colonial lens and looking at classics and translation theory. And when I started, the job I have now didn't exist. And in fact, comic studies as we know it was in a really nascent and um, kind of protean form at the time. So it took until I was, you know, way past my master's, which is actually on Latin literature, that I started thinking about what I really wanted to do and whether I couldn't take these same questions that I was asking about translation, about power, about imperialism and actually apply them to comics. And I'm just really lucky that there were so many people along the way who were supporting me in these efforts. And a lot of what I do and what I write about in my book are the ways that comics give us tools and techniques in order to visualize and to read the world differently. But it takes a kind of leap of imagination for you to think that that could even be possible. And so I see comics as a form of worlding, as a way of rethinking how we engage the world. And so the whole time I had this one path that was set out for me, but I was kind of imagining a different one. And I grew up reading comics. And so there was this kind of deep seated appeal there. And luckily people like my colleague, Ben Saunders had also been imagining a different world in which comic studies was a real and practicable field. And so much later, this job actually opened up and I was able to become the first so hired professor of comic studies in the nation, which was just really amazing and an unimaginable opportunity when I started my journey. So I'm sure this is a question you get often. You've already explained to us that when you were a graduate student and when you were completing your master's degree and working on your PhD, comic studies wasn't even a field. So tell us how you understand the field, how you define the field of comic studies, and also what's it doing in the academy? Why do we need the field of comic studies? Yeah, there's a lot of people who would argue that it doesn't belong in the academy, actually for some of the same reasons that I would argue it does. And some of that has to do with the fact that comics resist a lot of the forms of codification of knowledge 
and practice that we see in the Academy. So comics have long been seen as low art. They've been associated with immigrant culture. They've been associated with transnational culture. They have been associated with this unnatural commingling of the letters and the arts in ways that really challenge some of the precepts that structure our fields and our disciplines in the academy itself. And for me, that's why they're so important and so powerful is that they invite different ways of thinking about how we see things, about how we read things, and about even what those practices mean from a very material standpoint. Um, one of the texts that I write about in my book is this trilingual Lebanese comics journal, Samandal. And it, because it is using French and Arabic and English, the way that the editors decided to accommodate this particular trilingual material practice is by creating flippy pages throughout the magazine. So you have to actually flip upside down to go between the left to right English and French and the right to left Arabic stories. And Omar Khoury, who's one of the founders, described this, he said he really wanted to see a group of people on a bench just reading these looking like they couldn't read. And I love that image because to me, that's part of what comics does is that it challenges how we've thought about what it means to read well or to read properly. And it invites these practices and these radical literacies, these forms of reading that can actually turn those expectations upside down, literally in some cases. So you've just started speaking about your forthcoming monograph, How Comics Travel. Can you tell us a little bit more about the argument of uh, the project or the argument of the book? Yeah, so how comics travel, publication, translation, radical literacies is looking again at questions of translation, which has been an ongoing um, theoretical framework for all of my work. But some of that is literal translation. So how comics get translated among languages. I look at Majdiel Shafi's Metro, which was the first Egyptian graphic novel. And in its translations, you just get a lot of really interesting interpretations. So there's a lot of different sound words. And in the German version of the translation, they use, um, they keep the Arabic in all of the panels for the sounds, these onomatopoeias, but then they also add German translations of the sounds on top of it. So you have this like cacophonous image of sounds coming on top of sounds, which is just a really fascinating way of approaching that. So one of the things that my book really posits as an important framework for studying transnational comics is reading for difference. So rather than reading comics and assuming that they're always the same everywhere and we all read them the same because they're just pictures and pictures don't need to be interpreted, they're a universal language. I actually do the opposite by looking at these forms of disinterpretation or misinterpretation, ways of reading that actually show all these differences between sites of reading and reading practices. And sometimes that's even within a single tradition. So my fourth chapter is all about Michael Nicol Yakulanis, who creates what he calls Haida Manga. And for him, Haida Manga is this way of challenging what we even think of as comics. 
In the US, comic studies has long been predicated on the idea of the gutter, so the space in between panels. And comics theorist Scott McCloud says that the gutter is the host to the mystery and magic of comics. It's where we interject with our own imagination and where we create the meaning in comic studies. But actually what Yakalanis says is that this idea of the gutter and the gutter as this empty pregnant space, that's a mimetic sort of ideal for settler colonialism, where you imagine all of land as you know, broken up into these squares and into these allotment parcels, and you don't imagine it as a lived full place with interactions between, you know, land and flora and fauna and peoples. And so Yakulanis instead creates these pages that are using frame lines, which are these curving lines that bring together panels in ways that make them really inseparable and no longer prone to that kind of myth of the gutter. So that's another, again, another concept of reading for difference and another example of how these comics allow us to challenge how we read the world or how we imagine the world being read. An excellent uh, summary of the book. I'm really looking forward to its appearance and uh, to read it. Do you, do you have an idea when the publication date will be? Yeah, it's going into production. So it's actually going to be out in 2022, which is really exciting. And I'm, again, just really grateful to everyone who's made that happen as well. Thank you to the OHC for my book subscription. Well, we are happy to do it and congratulations on that great news. We're really looking forward to the publication. So you are um, among many other things, the Associate Director of the University of Oregon's Comics and Cartoon Studies program. Tell us about that program, why is it important? So that program is not just important, I would call it groundbreaking. And credit is due to my colleague, Professor Ben Saunders for again, imagining that this was something worth doing. And Oregon Comic Studies is really the first program in the US that took comics seriously and that made it into a minor. Um, and it responded a lot to student demand. This was something that students were really, really interested in doing. And there was a lot of enthusiasm among the student body. You now see a lot of similar programs this year, 20 to 21. Uh, San Francisco State University just started its own comic studies minor. There's similar programs at Portland State University and at Michigan State University and University of Florida. So since we had UO comic studies, there's now finally been a kind of bellwether in the nation where people are recognizing that this is something worth studying in the academy and that there's a lot of value and that the research practices that it offers for students cut across a number of disciplines. So to me, one of the most exciting things about how we do cartoon and comic studies here at the University of Oregon is our interdisciplinary approach. We offer classes in a number of different, not just departments, but colleges. And we have a lot of students from a number of colleges. We have many, many students from SOJC, students working in journalism and advertising who see in comic studies a real important application of the, the ideas that they're learning in terms of communication. We have a lot of students from the College of Art and Design 
who work on comics themselves and who aspire to use the principles from comic studies in their own artistic practice. And then we have students from all over CAS. We have students from computer science, students from marine biology, as well as students from cinema studies and English. And all of these students take classes in the cartoons and comic studies minor um, and then wind up minoring in the field. And some of them wind up going on to get jobs in the field or related fields. So it's to me just a really exciting program that I'm so lucky to be a part of. So related to that, you, you stress the interdisciplinarity of the program and one of the outshoots of it uh, uh, is the Science Comics Interdisciplinary Research Initiative. Tell us about that. So this again, I'm going to give full credit to my colleague in physics, Tian Tian Yu. Um, this was her brainchild and she brought it to me and I just kind of had one of those moments where my jaw dropped and I was like, I can't believe someone else had this brilliant idea and I get to work on it with you. So she and I, for the past two years, have been working on the Science Comics Initiative and it's now in going into its fifth quarter here at University of Oregon. The way that it works is that students from comic studies apply and we select them. They're then given a fellowship and they work for an entire quarter, 10 weeks, with a scientist to create a comics explanation of the research that that scientist is currently conducting. And this is just, it's been so successful and really mind blowing in terms of what's come out of this project. We had Audra McNamee, who worked with uh, Professor Luca Mazzucato on a neuroscience project. And so Audra just designed this entire comic showing the effect of hallucinogenics on serotonin in the brain. And it made it so that I was excited about something that I think normally I would have been like, yeah, that sounds complicated. But reading these comics, our hope, both Professor Yu and I, is that it will make science actually much more inclusive and much more exciting to a diverse group of students and readers. So uh, we're just really thrilled that this project is going to continue. Professor Yu had a career, an NSF career grant that has been funding it. And we're actually going to have an entire panel at the Undergraduate Research Symposium at UO this year that will be available on YouTube. And we're continuing it in a number of capacities. Our hope is ultimately to be able to create a science comics curriculum whereby we can teach science students how to use comics practices and vice versa in order to research and communicate that research. And for us, science communication is really just a key component of the interdisciplinary rewards for this project. Amazing, fascinating. And I, I would urge um, people to go to the website of the comics studies program at U of O to get access to some of these comics uh, that are just incredible, it's amazing. So Kate, you are also uh, an expert on comics journalism. What is it and why is it an important field? Yeah, that's a really great question. And there are some people who can rightly trace comics journalism back hundreds of years 
And if you want to see its origins, you can look at people like Goya and Gustave Doré and see this practice of drawing as a form of witnessing and documentation. And I think that is a really valid way of starting the kind of trajectory of comics journalism. But the way that we know it now and what I consider to be contemporary comics journalism really starts at the University of Oregon. And it's one of the reasons that I was so thrilled to get to work here because this is where comics journalism more or less begins with artist and journalist Joe Sacco. And Sacco comes to University of Oregon to study journalism and is working for a while just doing print journalism before finally developing what we consider to be contemporary comics journalism with his first series, Palestine. He went to the occupied territories in the early 90s as a journalist, really because he was unsatisfied with what we would consider mainstream journalism reporting on the Middle East. And he wanted to go and be able to document this for himself. And he felt the best way to do so was by drawing. So this idea of doing long form reportage in comics form starts in the early 90s and then gets picked up by a number of people. So at this point, there's actually websites that are dedicated to comics journalism. One of them is based out of Portland, it's called The Nib. There's another one based in Europe called Drawing the Times. And there's a lot of people around the world who are working to do journalism through comics. And I find this practice to be not simply what we might consider a genre or a form. I actually think of it as an ethics. The people who are working in comics journalism have a very specific reason for doing so. And the sorts of stories that they tell and the ways that they tell them are very human-minded, if that makes sense, to the OHC. They're much more about creating relationships with the people that they're interviewing slowly, right? This is a counter practice to the 24 hour news cycle. It's also to my mind, an incredibly urgent practice in the age of misinformation when we're always talking about bots and who knows where your news is coming from. Comics journalism is a practice whereby a human being sits there and slowly and painstakingly draws a story as a form of witnessing and as a form of documenting something that is happening in the world. And so, yeah, that's in a nutshell, comics journalism. So uh, as part of your expertise in comics journalism, you have the opportunity, uh, uh, you are currently engaged in curating an exhibition at the Jordan Schnitzer Museum of Art that's opening in the fall, which is called The Art of the News Comics Journalism. Tell us about the uh, exhibit. So the art of the news is very exciting in that it brings comics journalism really full circle. We're going to have many of Joe Sacco's work beginning from his earliest work and extending into his latest work, which actually just came out this year. It's called Paying the Land. And it's a really beautiful, long exploration of resource extraction among the Dene peoples in what uh, we would call via settler colonialism, Canada. So we have a lot of Joe's work, which serves as this kind of foundation. And then we have a number of artists who have all been really influenced by Joe. 
many of whom are actually Portlanders as well, or we also have a lot of international artists. So we're bringing together some of the most exciting and most recent work in the field. And we're bringing together people from all over the world and looking at works that kind of span from Victoria Lamasco's work, documenting um, Russian dissidents and a lot of anti-Putin rallies and various court cases to Jesus Cosio's work in Peru, documenting atrocities committed by Shining Path, as well as environmental devastation wrought by mining companies. And then here in the US, we're looking at people like Sarah Merck's recent work. She went, she was able to go and interview some of the few remaining prisoners at Guantanamo Bay, and then collaborate with a number of artists to bring these stories into existence visually through comics journalism. And for her, the reason that she wanted to do this as quickly as possible was in the hopes that with a new administration coming in in our last presidential election, that maybe it could actually affect change in Guantanamo Bay. And so we'll be showing a lot of pieces from her work, Guantanamo Voices, as well as her recent work in collaboration with Tibui documenting inequality during COVID. And so there's just a ton of different pieces from around the world that are done by people who are really, really engaged in correcting human rights abuses and documenting their existence, and then in finding a way to give voice to people whose voices are often unheard. So I'm excited about the show a lot. And I would also note that my colleague, uh, Professor Foxman in SOJC, he is working as our sort of media curator on the virtual reality part of the show. So we also, we will go all the way from pen and ink, Joe Sacco drawings to a VR installation by Dan Archer, along with an interactive media portal by Jesus Cosio. So uh, tell us about some of the other affiliated events that you're planning with, along with the exhibition. So we will have a symposium bringing together our artists and really putting them into conversation. I found having had some of these incredible people visit my classes in the past, that it's much more exciting when they talk to each other about the work that they're doing and how they're doing it than it is to hear academics like me talk about their work. Um, so I'm really excited that we're getting to bring them in November to have roundtables and two days worth of these conversations and various related events. We're also getting to bring a couple of our artists, Andy Warner, uh, who runs the graphic novel project at Stanford University, and Sarah Merck, who's one of the editors of Reveal News, as well as one of the editors of The Nib. They'll both be doing workshops with students and other um, community members in order to teach people to do your own comics journalism, which is another really exciting event that's going to happen in conjunction with the show. So you just uh, alluded to um, your uh, role as a teacher of comics and comic studies. Um, tell us about how, what kind of teacher of comic studies you are. How do you teach comics in the classroom? Yeah, that's, I mean, many different ways. So for me, one of the most exciting things about teaching comics 
And this was true when I first started teaching them about a decade ago, is that they serve a kind of democratizing effect in the classroom. You have students who have long felt that they weren't good writers or weren't good readers or feel that they don't know anything about art. But when you give them comics, they suddenly get really excited about getting to talk about these texts. So I enjoy, I actually teach comics even in classes that aren't dedicated comics classes. I teach one class on um, war and media of war. And we read comics actually by Joe Sacco, as well as by Sarah Glidden, another artist who will be in the show, because they show us how to document war in ways that don't sort of reproduce forms of targeting and predation that cameras often reflect. So it's just a really beautiful way to teach certain events and students are really, really touched by these texts. I also teach a comics journalism class now where students create their own works of comics journalism. And when we did this in winter, it was a winter of 2021. It was slightly awkward because it was all via Zoom and it was just incredible what students were able to do and the ways that they did it and the reasons that they had for getting together and telling the stories that they wanted to tell. Many of them reached out to frontline workers and interviewed them to hear about their experiences during the pandemic. Many students interviewed people working in education and then drew these stories. And so they created these comics together in groups and their final project was to present the comics journalism pieces that they had created. And it was really amazing just to see what they'd come up with working together in 10 weeks time. Do you create your own comics? Have you ever done that? I do. They're not worth publishing, but I do do that. That's the thing that I've been known to do. I mostly, I think I'm much more of an appreciator of other comics than I am an artist myself, but I really enjoy getting to feel what it's like to think in image and text at the same time. So um, you've, I think you've already begun to answer this question, but I'll ask it anyway. What attracted you to the University of Oregon? Why did you want to come here? Well, <laughs> what, I don't even know how to answer that without saying that my job when it existed was the job I had dreamed might exist one day. And the fact that it existed in my lifetime and when I was still in academia was just an absolute windfall. And I'm just so amazed that, again, my colleague, Professor Saunders, thought this was something that needed doing and then made it possible in the world. And then I got to be that. So all of that to me is really just incredible. Other things that I think Oregon has beyond our comic studies program are just a really strong dedication to the humanities and to interdisciplinary work. And the way that my own research and practice works is very, very grounded in ensuring that we don't limit ourselves in the ways that we make knowledge, in the ways that we communicate with one another, and in the ways that we teach our students. And so I think being able to teach these classes where I'm showing cartoons, 
we're, you know, looking at old texts by Lessing about practices of art and literature, being able to do that is really something that I think University of Oregon makes possible. So I would say that's another reason that I find this university just to be inspirational. So we're almost at the end of our time, Kate, this will be my last question. You've already told us about your forthcoming monograph. What are you working on now that that's behind you or almost behind you? Yeah, I'm also going to work on putting forward an entire collection, an edited collection about comics journalism. It's something that I think based on my experiences with this show merits a lot more study and exploration something that is so important to me uh, from an ethical framework. And then at the same time, I've long been working on a study of different forms of infographics, which goes back to the same questions I'm asking in my current book, but things that we take for granted or that we assume are just legible everywhere, that everyone can read them and everyone reads them the same way. I think infographics is another great opportunity to look at how we make information visual and what that actually tells us about cultural practices and cultural locations. And thinking about things like, you know, the no symbol, the circle with the slash, that actually comes from semaphore. So knowing that that's, you know, when you see that that's a human body that's reaching out and saying no to you physically, reminding ourselves of the sort of material and physical practices that go into these seemingly universal symbols is to me a really exciting new path of research that I've been working on. Well, both of those projects just seem completely fascinating. Kate, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. It's just been a real pleasure. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much for having me. I've been speaking with Catherine Kelp-Stebbins, Assistant Professor and Associate Director of the Comic Studies Program at the University of Oregon. She is co-curating the Art of the News Comics Journalism, an exhibition at the Jordan Schnitzer Museum of Art that will be on view during fall 2021. Thanks so much for watching. <laughs>